0: If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to help us to bring out the Word of God, to feed the saints, and that you'll open up each one of our hearts to receive the engrafted Word that we might grow in grace and in knowledge of Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd like to say in the beginning of the sermon that this has been a tremendous study. I've really enjoyed these three verses, and I hope that you can get just a little foretaste of what I've had this week of God's uh, uh, blessings upon these verses. John starts out, Behold, it says, Behold ye, because it's in the plural, and it means he's talking to all God's people. Behold ye, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And that manner of love means it's like a, a love, It's a, God's love is a foreign love to the world. They don't know anything about it. It's amazing that we should be called the sons of God. It's, it's God's great love as he speaks about in Ephesians chapter 2. The Father hath bestowed upon us. The perfect tense is used to indicate that the gift becomes a permanent possession of the Receptor. We have received God's love permanently. It's ours. Perfect tense. You know what's good about that? The perfect tense is something that happened in the past with the present results. So God's everlasting love in the past is being manifested in our lives now. His love is being brought to us individually. Isn't that wonderful? There's a time we know God loves his elect from eternity, but there comes a time when God places that love upon you. Oh, beloved, what a thought that is. God's love is manifested and bestowed upon me, a sinner. And the purpose of this amazing gift, a wise, holy love concerning our highest good, not simply that we may be saved from suffering and loss, but in order that we may be styled or called the children of God. What an honor for you and me to be called children of God. He's not just saving us from damnation, saving us from sin. He's making us His children is we're going to see through adoption. Oh, what a blessing that is. And we have not only the name, but the character, so are we the children of God. Now the word is used there, uh, it's a word that's, that's, the word that the translator is translated sons of God, but it's more correctly, is children of God. If you read John's gospel, the only person in John's gospel that he calls the son of God is who? Jesus Christ. He emphasizes that Jesus is the Son of God all through 1st John and we as little children. You know, he talks to, uh, uh, to the saints there as little children, children of God. And he emphasizes that. He calls attention to our character as members of the family of God, a divine offspring. And I said here the word sons, uh, is actually from a Greek word which means techna which denotes not the, not the legal relationship of sons, but rather the natural relationship of children as members of the family. In other words, the reason we're called children of God because God is giving us a new nature. See, David's sons have his nature and Mabel's na- nature. They're, they have that nature of, of the family trait, the forest family. They have that trait. And we now... God's cast his love upon us and that we're born of God. We have the nature of God. What a blessing, Roger. We're going to look at the legal part of it later. We are legally sons of God. But God now is bestowing upon you and I a nature to love God, to worship God. Oh, how wonderful that is. So we have a relationship as children of God. Not going to be children of God. We are children of God now having a divine nature, being born of God. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says, "...according to His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature." have escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. We have a divine nature. We have God gave us a nature that is spiritual. We have a nature that we can worship God. We can know God. We can honor God. We can obey God. Without that nature, we cannot love God. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 5.1, Be ye therefore followers. That word followers there means imitators. Imitators of God as dear children. Well, why would Paul say that? Because we have the nature of God, Brother Dave. We've been born again of the Spirit. He put His seed in us, that spiritual seed, that divine nature, that new man that which is created and rises in true holiness. We've been born with the nature of God. Now we can worship God in spirit and in truth. What a blessing it is to be called a children of God. And because of this, it says, Therefore, the world... Knoweth us not. Now here's something you're going to have to face. And I know it's difficult for us, but we have to face the reality. The world does not know a Christian. They cannot comprehend a Christian attitude, the Christian love. They didn't know the love of God, as we're going to see. It says here, knoweth and you are both genosco, which means to know by experience, to acquire knowledge through the medium of experience. They cannot comprehend what we comprehend, the love of God. They can't comprehend that, brother, because they're lost and undone. The system spoken of in John in verses chapter 2, 15 through 17 is the people of this world system of evil. The world, John says, lieth in the wicked one. John says, love not the world. Now he's talking about the system of evil. Neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Beloved, it shows here, we all have to contend with these things. We have to contend with the lust of the flesh. We have to contend with the lust of the eyes. And we all have to contend with the pride of life. But that's the reason God has given us a new nature, a new birth, to desire heavenly things. He goes on to say, the children of God and the world are so different from each other that the world does not know us, does not know us at all. And by its very nature, the world which lieth in wickedness, John five nineteen, cannot truly understand or establish friendly relations with God's children. Do not think it's strange that the world doesn't understand you because they don't have the nature of God. They cannot understand. They didn't, they didn't know God when he came in the flesh. They rejected him. They despised him. They esteemed him not and neither can they know us, because we have the nature of God. It says, 1 John 5, nine the verse that I quoted, and we know that we are the children of, uh, we are of God in the world, in the whole world, lieth in wickedness. And then John and Paul makes a, a, a statement because of this. He says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, and when you understand that the world system lieth in the wicked one, you understand that those who are unborn again cannot love the family of God, cannot love the uh, saints of God, because they don't love, they they don't see love the way we see it. Now you can understand why John made this statement. It becomes more clear. He says in Second Corinthians six fourteen, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness?" Now you have to realize that if you are born again child of God, you are a righteous individual. If a person is not born again, they're unrighteous. And and it says in the Old Testament, how can two walk together except they'll agree? And flesh and spirit can never agree. And what communion hath light with darkness? Now this is what God says, this is not what I say. And beloved, it's because there's two worlds, two systems. God's people are in one system, the devil's people in another system. The two don't go together. And James puts it like this. And I had to, even my own, I have to think sometimes when I'm reading these things and apply it to my own life, these, these words are very penetrating. James says, you adulterous and adulterous. Now he's not talking about literally adultery or adulterous. He's talking about spiritual. Know you not that the friendship of the world is empty with God? That word enmity means hate, hatred of God. Because therefore will the, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And I read that, I said, boy, why do we want to get so friendly with the world? Now we all have to guard against this because, you know, we have friends who are not Christians. And we have to be careful that they don't influence us the wrong way. Because when we start going doing the things they're doing, then we become the enemy of God. God's going to come against us and deal with us as sons and daughters. So remember, the world is not our friend. The world is your enemy. You've got to face reality. There is concrete, absolute truth in the Word of God. And this is an absolute truth. The world, if you're a friend of the world, you're enmity with God and He will become an enemy of you. If you become a friend of the world and reject, that means you reject God's uh, kingship over you, you reject what God teaches, and you follow the way of the world. When you do that, you become an enemy of God. And he goes on to say, because it knew him not. The world knew him not. says in 1 John 3, 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth had not seen him, neither know him. Now that's pretty strong language. Now we'll get into what that means as we go through this. It says in John chapter 1 verse 10 and 11, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and yet, and the world knew him not. They knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And, beloved, that same attitude they had against the Lord, they're going to have that same attitude against you and I. Because Jesus says in John 15, 18, and 19, if the world hates you, what do they hate? Why would they hate a Christian? They hate the image that's in the Christian. They hate Christ that's in us. Jesus says, you will not come unto me because you love darkness rather than light. The people of the world who hate God love darkness rather than light. And they hate the Christian because they we are a reflection of Christ and they hate the image of Christ in us. You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Now, you can take this as absolute truth. The world hates a Christian. And John says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons or the children of God. John speaks of them as little children and beloved. He keeps reminding them, reminding us that we are now children of God, he's emphasizing we are now present tense children of God. You don't have to wait till you die to become a child of God. You are now present tense children of God. And in First John, you can check this out. He only calls Jesus the Son of God in the epistle of John. We're always called children of God because he's emphasizing the deity of the Son of God in 1 John. Now we come to see about sons of God. Adoption is a legal transaction before time by God the Father. We are His children and sons by adoption. By adoption. And our regeneration is the fruit thereof. So that this title and honor do mostly truly belong unto us. Remember, we were chosen to be sons and daughters. We were chosen to be by adoption, and regeneration follows adoption. Now, some people want to put adoption when you believe. No, adoption took place in eternity. And we were predestinated, we're going to see here, in Ephesians 1, 5, it says, "...having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So adoption comes before regeneration." Says in Galatians 4, 5 and 7, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba Father. You didn't believe He because the Son, because He was sons, He gave you the Holy, sent the Holy Spirit crying into your heart, Abba Father. Because you were sons by adoption. So who who makes the sons? God does. He adopted us as his children. What No wonder John says, what manner of love is this, Brother Dave? God not only saved us, but he adopted us to be his children of God and sons and daughters of God. What a privilege that is. We have the nature of God through the new birth now. I have a divine nature given to me of God, the Holy Spirit, that I might love God and seek God and love God. Oh, what a blessing that is. In Romans eight fifteen, Paul says, "For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father." Oh, what a blessing that is! In verse sixteen, he says, "The Spirit that bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God." The Holy Spirit bears witness by crying in us, bringing in us, Abba, Father. We have that spirit of adoption. We we cry out to God for help when we in need, like Christ called out to the Lord, "Lord, save me! I perish." He said, let us come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who do we go to? Our Heavenly Father who loves us with an everlasting love. And that love has been manifested in our lives. He put that love upon us and we've been born again. We've become to sonship. We've become believers in Jesus Christ and we're following Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessing that is. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. That's a a beautiful statement. The New Testament apostles, like the Old Testament prophets, knew what it had been God's purpose to disclose to them and no more. God doesn't reveal to us everything, Brother Dave. Some people think when you die, you'll know everything. No, I believe we'll continue growing in Christ and knowledge in Christ by the Holy Spirit throughout eternity. Remember, God is infinite. We're finite. We can never take it all in at one time. God's going to be teaching us in, throughout eternity. What a thought! That's going to be wonderful. We'll be growing in knowledge of Christ throughout eternity because God is an infinite God. The Lord will always be teaching us. He has. He goes on to say, "It has not yet been made manifest or visible. What we're going to be totally in our experience, but what." What we are does not now appear to the world. What we shall, what, and what we shall be does not yet appear to us. What's going to happen to us does not yet appear. So here John confesses that the exact state and condition of the redeemed in heaven has not been revealed to him. Now a lot of people want to know this. God hadn't taught us yet. Some things God hasn't revealed to you and I in his word. Some things he has we know some things about what we're going to be as we're going to see the two revelations of christ and of our first final state will be made simultaneously so then we shall share in his glory think about this we're going to share in the glory together saints he says in romans 8:17 and if children then heirs then errors of god and joint heirs with christ everything christ has we have Somebody said, oh, you know, your grandpa is rich. He's got millions. I said, oh, yeah? Who is my grandpa? <laughs> you know, but we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to be, we're going to be joint heirs with him, Roger. Everything he has, we'll have. Praise God. We're sons of God by adoption. We've been adopted into God's family to never dishonor us. He that cometh unto me, I will no wise cast out. Praise God for that. That is wonderful. And it says, it so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Christ and all the saints of God will all be glorified together because Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear. Now here he's talking about the appearing then shall you also appear with him in glory. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but beloved, there's coming a day when this is all going to take place, Brother D. The glorification of all the saints of God at one time. I got to, when studying that this week, I tell you, I had a few shouting's spells there for a while. Paul concentrates in his letters on the truth that in heaven we shall be with Christ. We shall be with Christ. He mentions that in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Philippians 1.23, Colossians 3.4, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, John 14.3 and 17.24. He, he emphasizes we're going to be with Christ. Now we know for sure we're going to be with Christ throughout eternity. He goes on to say, but we know that when he shall appear, oh, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. And that way, and and what that means, it means he should be made, made visible. He'll be made visible. The Scriptures do not give the details of the future existence. It does reveal that our heavenly bodies will be like Jesus, Philippians 3.21, which says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working, whereby he is able to do all things unto himself. We're going to be made like Christ when he appears. And that's going to be a wonderful thing. Additionally, we will experience immorality and be free from our sinful nature, Brother Roger. No more sinful nature to deal with. I tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. That's going to be a blessed time. And our body shall be conformed into His, like His body. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. There's going to be some alive when Jesus comes, but we shall all be changed. I like that. Changed in a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And here's the part I really enjoy. And we shall be changed. When? When he appears. When he's revealed in his second coming. When that trumpet sounds. And it says in Revelation, Behold, every eye shall see Him. Beloved, when we see Him, all the saints of God, those who come out of the grave first, we which alive are changed. When we see Him face to face, we're changed and we'll be changed into His likeness. That's what the second coming is all about. You're going to be changed and all will be glorified together. If If I die before the Lord's coming... I'll be laid next to my mother. I said this last time, I'll be being laid next to her. And the resurrection, she'll be called up first. And if I'm dead, we'll be caught up together. And then we'll be, as we see Jesus, you know that song we sing face to face with Christ my Savior. What will it be? We'll be changed into His likeness in a moment. Seeing Him changes you and I. His glory, His power. We will be like Christ. But we shall see Him as He is. For the first time in our lives, we'll see Christ as he truly is, glorified. And we will be glorified with a body without sin. It's unspeakable. Peter said it's unspeakable and full of glory. These are, this is what we're waiting on. The other night when I was studying this, I said, boy, this would be a good time right now, Lord, to come back. I'm ready. I'm ready to be changed in that moment in the twinkling of an eye. But sometimes the sadness of that, in a sense, is when we think of our loved ones. That does. We think about our loved ones and it brings a little sadness to us. Are they, are they prepared? Has God revealed himself to them yet? But that's in the hands of God and we have to leave it there. But oh, beloved, what a great time that will be. When he shall appear or be made visible. But we shall see him as he is. At his appearing, believers will see Jesus in his true nature before their spiritual, because their spiritual as well as their physical eyes will be fully open. For the first time in our lives, we'll see Jesus as he really is. Now it's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. The just shall live by faith but one glimpse at Him in His glorified body and we will be changed into His likeness, all of us. We should be glorified together. All the saints are going to share at the same time the glorification of their bodies. The body will be glorified, redeemed, be made like unto Christ. Oh, I tell you what, I'm looking forward to that day. That's a hope, beloved. No wonder Paul said that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ when He when we're resurrected and He comes in His glory, when He comes in His second coming, and when we see Him at that moment, we should be all will be changed into His likeness. All of us. Hallelujah. There will be nobody left out. All His people will be changed. The vision of Christ will change each one. We will become like him in terms of what we see in him and in ourselves. What what we will come to recognize fully is that Jesus is morally pure, absolutely righteous, and at that moment, we too will become so. To be absolutely righteous as Christ is. Oh, beloved, I tell you what, I'm longing for that day. I'm longing for that day. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. In his second coming, we're going to see him face to face. As I'm looking at Brother Roger face to face, one day we'll look at Jesus. And for the first time in our lives, we'll see him as he is and we should be changed into his likeness. That's your hope, beloved. That's the hope. What a hope we have. And... and, Because God has loved us with an everlasting love. Behold what manner of love, John said. Look at the love of God. Look what he's done for us. And he goes down and he's he's telling us, listen, Christ is coming when he appears. We're going to be changed into his likeness. That's what we're waiting on. We don't know what heaven's going to be like. We don't know exactly what God has been planned for us. But we do know that when Jesus comes, we're going to be like Him. And as Paul says, we will be with Him. And he says in First Thessalonians 4, to the end of that verse, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It doesn't matter where we're at or where we go, whether we live in heaven or live on the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Beloved, we will be with Christ, and that's that's what's wonderful. We will be with him, our Savior, our Lord, our God. And it goes on to say, And every man that hath this hope purifieth himself. Had this hope. And the Greek word epi means upon Christ. Your hope is upon Christ, not in yourself. Upon Christ. Where do you have your hope this morning? Not within, but upon Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that hope there is in the present tense. It means it's a continuous hope. That hope never stops it's indicating that this is a continuous hope. We're continually looking for the manifestation of Jesus Christ that we'll be resurrected and be changed into His likeness. That's a, and the word hope means an expectation of future good. It's not a wishful hope, it's an expectation. God, the Lord, is going to be revealed and we'll be resurrected and we'll be changed into His likeness. That's called a hope. And John says our hope is upon Christ. And that foundation, Dave talked about a foundation. That foundation is built upon Christ. There's no other foundation where we can build except on Christ. Our hope is in Jesus who is our foundation. So our hope is, our expectation of this coming of Christ and our being changed is built upon God's Word and it's secure. Hallelujah. The return of Christ and the glory which follows, it includes three events already mentioned. One, His appearing. He's going to appear, revealed. Secondly, our seeing Him. We're going to see Him as He is. And thirdly, and our becoming like Him. These are the three things we're looking for. His appearing, our seeing Him, and our becoming like Him. That's going to be a glorious, glorious day. This is not an uncertain hope, like human hope, because it is grounded upon the promise of Christ. As it says in Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Notice this. For He is faithful that promised. God's faithful. not Warren, he told those uh, in, in, in the book of Kings over there, it says not one word of one jot has failed of God's promises. Everything was fulfilled that God promised. And everything that Jesus promised will be fulfilled. Oh. For he is faithful. That promise. And what did it say? Let us hold fast our profession of faith without wavering. Beloved, don't waver. Don't give up. Keep your eye on the Lord Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. Paul says in Colossians 1 through 4, what should be our attitude? He said, if you then be risen with Christ, if you've been risen spiritually with Christ in the new birth, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above, where Christ set up on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Our spiritual life is hid in Christ in God. When Christ who is alive shall appear, notice this, when he shall appear, then shall you appear with him in glory. See how it all fits together with what John says? We shall be changed into his likeness. We shall be glorified together. We shall appear with Christ in glory with a changed body glorified. Oh, I tell you, boy, I, I'm looking forward to that day. Mm. Gets me excited thinking about it. You know, if you, we need to be more enthused about the things of God. You know, people can go to a football game or a basketball game and get all excited, jump up and down. But when they hear great truths or the Word of God, things that should excite us, people say it like a dead door and elbow knob. Then They just don't, they don't understand what's being said. Once it gets a hold of your heart, once you realize this is what's coming, this is what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for Christ to appear, that I can be resurrected and I'll be changed into His likeness. I'll be glorified and I'll be with Him forever. And all the saints of God will be resurrected and we will all be glorified at the same moment. Mm, mm, mm. That's wonderful. You shall appear with him in glory. And that word means upon him, upon him. Betrays the believer's hope as reaching out and resting upon him. Don't look within for, for something. Look upon Christ. If you look within, you're going to see, you're going to be miserable. At times, you could be miserable. Come out of yourself and rest your faith upon Christ and His promises. He's the hope of the believer. And the last part of this, he says, "Purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now, boy, this is a big verse. I had to really struggle with this one. And there's so much to learn when you're studying these verses. Purify himself even as he is pure, talking about Jesus Christ. In the present tense indicates a continuous process of purification. The present tense points to the repeated activity and himself marks that the conscious need for purification centers in our own being. We are constantly needing purification in our conscience. At times, our conscience becomes defiled before because of our contact with the world. Now, as we come in contact with the world, at times we we get defiled in our conscience, and the way we overcome that is through the Word of God, as we're going to see as we get into this. Now, first thing we got to come to, to realization, which we went over, the description of Jesus must be seen in the light of His ministry in in to believers, and first. In 1 John 1, 7 and 2, 2. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That means we're obeying God and we're walking in His commandments and we're in fellowship with God. And He said, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's in the present tense. The blood is continually cleansing us from all sin. Then He says in John uh, 2, 1, my little children, Notice how he his sympathy with his children. These things write unto you that you sin not. It should not be the attitude of a child of God to habitually sin. And if any man sin, an act of sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Oh, beloved, the moment you sin, Jesus is there as your advocate. He's there. Hallelujah. Can't you see the love of God? Being taught those children of God in First John, brother Dave. And it's for us today to encourage us. Yes, we have an enemy we have to contend with. We have the flesh we have to contend with. We have the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But when we sin, we have an advocate there at our, right there with us saying, child, I'm here. By faith we can sin, by faith. He said, and he is a propitiation for our sins. He's our covering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing that you can commit that God can't forgive. What an encouragement that is. I don't care how dark your past, how dark your present, or how dark your future, the blood of Christ can cleanse from all sin. All sin. Satan said, say, well, you know, you don't, you don't went too far this time. No. Jesus is there with open arms to his children. He's there. As we abide in Christ, and his word abides in us, and we obey his word, we cleanse ourselves. There's a cleansing in obedience. There's a cleansing. That's different from the washing of our sins away by the blood of Christ because this cleansing has to do with our conscience. In, 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 in uh, John 1, seven, John states that in the, it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us whereas here he speaks of self-purification. Both are true and necessary. Included in self-purification is the believer's renunciation of objects, activities, and attitudes which he finds to be defiling. If anything comes into your life that defiles you, whether it be an object, an attitude, or activities to be defiling, you must reject it. What did Christ say? He that would follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It costs to follow Christ, beloved. There's some things you have to give up. I have to give up. If we want to be true disciples of Christ and follow Christ, you must deny certain things in your life. Now here we come to the text to kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing you have purified your souls or your conscience in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And it's only done through the Spirit. As we obey God and we look to Christ, now remember someone who is continually following Christ, he's abiding in Christ when he sees something in his life, he rejects it. He obeys the truth, and he's obeying the truth. The Holy Spirit purifies his conscience. It's under the blood. It's been cleansed. So we can serve God with a pure conscience before God. With Unto unfind, unfeigned love of the brethren, that you may love with another with a pure heart, fervently, fervently. So the evidence of being, of the obeying, being set apart by the word of God and obeying the truth is that we love one another. If you're not following God and obeying God, we cannot love each other correctly. Jesus said in John 17, 17 sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. In other words, as you read the word of God, it's going to convict you of something. You're going to reject it. And through the Holy Spirit's leadership, you're going to reject it and follow Christ and put it out of your life. That's being sanctified in your conscience and, and set apart and purifying yourself in your walk with God by self-denial, which we need God to do that. Sanctify them through the truth. And in 1st, 2nd Corinthians 7, 1, he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, now he's talking about Christians, Cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now what can be sins of the spirit? Jealousy, envying, covetousness. That's done by the spirit, not by the body. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. No, John makes it clear that the possession of hope produces purity. There is no exception to the rule. If you're really looking for the coming of Jesus Christ, and you're living according to that coming, there you will be living correctly in your life. And he doesn't make any exceptions. Our destiny is to be conformed to the image of God in Christ, Romans 8, 29. What is our destiny? Here it is. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, that's gradually taking place in our lives now. It will be completed at his coming. When we're changed, In that when we see him as he is, we should be changed. We'll complete that process will be completed at his second coming. But notice what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 3:18. But we all with an open face Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, as you read the Word and you're reading the Word of God and you're obeying the Word of God, says, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As you're reading the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, the Holy Spirit is conforming you gradually to the image of Christ. And that process Gradually, you're being cleansed from sin. One day will be complete. When Christ comes, as I said, you will be glorified with Christ. So there is a cleansing that takes place daily in the life of the believer as he looks for the coming of Christ. He purifies himself because he wants to abide in Christ. He wants to love Christ. He's following Christ. And when you do those things, you are being purified in your conscience from dead works to serve the true and living God. Oh, beloved, what a blessing, what a blessing that is. What a blessing that is. To know God does not bring spiritual complacency, but purity of life. It is the pure in heart that shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8, for they shall see God. Oh, beloved, and I have a thought here I wrote down. But to the souls of the readers, the inner life as the seat and center of self-conscious life, the consciousness of sin, defilement of the Christian's inner being has been removed through imputative that relates to the use of the body as natural includes, 1 John 1, nine. The expression clearly shows that the purification is moral, not merely external. The truth that the purification in you is the work of the Holy Spirit and the obedience. So so the the Holy Spirit purifies us as we're walking with God and obeying God. He's continually applying the blood. He's continually cleaning our conscience. And we're looking forward to that second coming when we shall see Him as He is. Now I know some of these things are a little deep and hard to understand. But we will try to go over some of these things and others will bring things out. But what a wonderful truth, beloved... Are you looking for His second coming? Are you waiting for that day that trumpet sounds and you see Him face to face and all the saints will be up in the air with us? We shall be glorified together and we all shall be changed. Hallelujah. May we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. What a blessing it is to study Thy Word. What a blessed hope we have in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for that everlasting love that you bestowed upon us in salvation and regenerating us. You adopted us to be children and sons of God and daughters of God and regenerated, gave us the nature of God that we can love God and be imitators of God as dear children. And oh, what a inheritance we have. We don't know all that's involved, but we know when he comes, we shall see him as he is and be made like him in our physical frame and body. And we look forward to that day. Bless thy word to our souls. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.